Welcome, everyone. We're so glad that you're here with us today. Welcome to Smyrna Campus. Love you guys. Uh, those that are connecting online, we're so glad you could connect with us that way. And uh, we can bring the service, the message to you, and you can still be able to be involved with us as a church family. We are today finishing up a series that we've been doing called Navigating the New Normal. You remember, you may remember the story I told a while back. There was a guy, older gentleman, that was on his deathbed, and he called three trusted friends to his side. He called his pastor, his doctor, and his lawyer to his bedside. And he told every one of them, here's $30,000 in cash. When I die, I want you to come by my casket at the viewing and place an envelope with the money in it because I believe you can really take it with you. I've been here all my life. You can't take it with you, but I believe you really can, and I want to prove that. They all said, okay, you can trust us. We'll do it. Well, they had, the guy died. They had their funeral, and the, the three guys passed by the casket while it was open, and they each put an envelope in the casket. After the service, they all were gathering together, the, the three guys that had put the envelopes in, and they started talking to each other, and the pastor just broke down. He said, I got to confess, I only put $20,000 in there. I needed $10,000 for a new baptistry at the church. Other guys just shook their heads, and the lawyer said, well, I have to admit. Uh, the doctor said, well, I have to admit. I, I, I didn't put the full 30000 in either. I only put 10000 in, but it was for a good cause. I needed 20000 for some new equipment at the hospital. The lawyer just shook his head and said, I'm shocked that he couldn't trust you guys. I want you to know that when I went by and put that envelope in that casket, it was a personal check for the full amount. It's hard to find people you can trust, isn't it? And we've been in this series looking at different aspects of how we need to be living life under the conditions of our new normal. You remember Paul, we're looking at the book of Philippians, if you want to open up there, uh, the New Testament book of Philippians. And in that letter that Paul wrote to the church at Philippi, he's been giving instructions about how Christ followers ought to be living life. Now, they are all experiencing a new normal when he writes that letter. Remember, Paul is under house arrest. He's chained to a guard 24-7. He ended up being under house arrest for two years. Uh, even before that, he's been beaten. He's been shipwrecked. He's been in jail. He's been going through all of this new normal for him. His life wasn't like that before. And those early Christians were experiencing a new normal. You see, most of them had converted from Judaism, though some of them were Greek converts by this time that he writes this letter. And for them to change to becoming Christ followers meant their lives were totally different now. It was a new normal for them. So it makes sense that as we are going through a period of a new normal for us, different restrictions, different things we've got to do or not do under the conditions we're living in right now with the pandemic and other things that are going on around the country and the world, we need to know how do we respond? How do we live life as Christ followers? So if you've missed any of this series, we're finishing up the series today. If you missed any of it, they're all posted on our website at lakeshorechristian.com. You can go there. But I also recommend that you subscribe to our YouTube uh, page, our YouTube channel. We've got all of our videos uh, going way back posted there on YouTube. So you can go and look for Lakeshore Christian Church on YouTube and uh, you can like that and, and be a part of that so that you can regularly go there and see any messages that you might want to go back and review. 
But in this series, Paul has instructed us to live differently than the world. He said he wanted us to pray with thanksgiving, to focus on the positive instead of the negative. We need to identify with Christ even in his sufferings. We need to understand God's purpose even in the middle of hard things that he's still working for our good. We need to understand that during this time, there needs to be a greater focus on caring for others. And we need to hold on to our hope that is beyond this world. And we need to be maturing uh, as we go through hard things. God wants to mold us and make us through the hard things, through the struggles, into more mature followers of Christ. We need to rejoice in the peace of God that you can have even when other people don't understand how you can have it. It's amazing. We need to, last week we looked at being content in all circumstances, even with the restrictions, even with the pandemic, even with hard things happening in our lives. We need to be able to be content, and God gives us the ability to be content in all circumstances. Today we finish up with something that He's been referring to even before these last verses that we're looking at. We're going to turn to Philippians 4. We're going to be uh, beginning with verse 14 today. Verse 14. This is a passage where he especially focuses on thanking the Christians at the church at Philippi for their support of his ministry. They had sent uh, people there to Paul to bring supplies and, and financial help and all of that. And Paul is reminding them of how great it is for them to do that and the impact that it makes. And he's reminding all of us that we need to be living generously during the challenging times that we face. That a generous lifestyle is the trademark of a Christian, of a Christ follower. It is one of the things that sets us apart from the world. But what we're going to look at today, especially when it comes to generosity, is what Paul reminds us of. And this passage and some others we're going to look at is that generosity is rooted in trusting God. That's, that's what allows us, no matter what's going on around us, to still be generous people during the good times, the bad times, the challenges, the times of abundance. He wants us to be consistently generous people. So we're going to focus on trusting God and what it allows us to do, how it allows us to live even during this time of a new normal. Five things that it does for us. The first one is this, trusting God allows you to share with others. It allows you to share with others. Look at verse 14. Paul has already referred to their help in this letter, and then he says, yet it was good of you to share in my troubles. Now, he just specifically said, I've learned to be content whether I have little or I have an abundance. I've learned to be content no matter what the circumstances. And, and it's in Christ that I've learned the secret of being able to do that. It's, it's through Christ. He's telling us that if you really trust God, you really place your trust in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, then you can be open to and willing to share with others whatever God has provided for you. You see, the church at Philippi is going through struggles when, when, when Paul is in prison there. They have challenges of their own, and yet they have stepped up in their generosity to help out Paul. They sent help to him while he was there in Rome under house arrest, even though they themselves were going through some hard things. How can people be so generous when they're going through hard times themselves? 
here at Lakeshore through this whole pandemic. There's uncertainty. There's, there's, uh, there, there's this uh, not knowing what's going to happen with jobs and, and incomes and all of those things that people are facing that, that are challenging right now. But you know what a lot of members of our church family are doing still? Being generous. Now, how are they able to do that? It's because they trust God. In a pandemic, yes. With job insecurity, yes. With challenges to health or family or whatever struggles you're going through, yes. There are people that simply trust God enough to know that if they are generous like God asked them to be, God will take care of his people. He will care for his children. He will provide for his children. I want to connect this passage today we're looking at uh, at the very end of the letter to the Philippian church with another letter that Paul wrote. And it's the letter of 2 Corinthians, the second letter he wrote to the church in Corinth. Because there, I mentioned it earlier in the series, there is a direct correlation between some of what Paul talks about uh, to the Corinthian church that relates directly to the Philippian church. Those two are connected very closely to each other. Paul had planted both of those churches. He had friends and, and fellow servants in both of those churches. And he, he refers to uh, some churches that include Philippi when he writes to the Corinthian church. In 2 Corinthians 8, beginning with verse 1, Paul is talking to the church at Corinth about uh, he's wanting to encourage them to go ahead and follow through with a generous offering they had promised they were going to take up to help out the saints in Jerusalem that were struggling at that time. And he's encouraging them by giving them an example of some other churches and what they've done. So listen here, pick up verse 1 of 2 Corinthians 8. He says, And now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. Now, if, if you don't know uh, about that area and you don't know about the province of Macedonia, then you may never connect that verse with the Philippian letter. But we know about three churches, at least, in the province of Macedonia, three different towns. Macedonia is a province that had different towns, different cities in it. And one of those was Philippi. We know there were three. There was the Thessalonian church, the Berean church, and the Philippian church were all in the province of Macedonia. So when Paul says to the church at Corinth, I want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches, he's including Philippi. The letter that we've been studying all along is written to that church. And so in that group of churches, Philippi was a part of what he's talking about here. Look at verse 2. In the midst of a very severe trial. Okay, so at the time he's writing the second letter to the Corinthian church, Persecution had grown and there, there, is, uh, there is greater challenge and a famine had occurred as well. So in the province of Macedonia, they were suffering through a famine. So listen to this. In the midst of a severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich, what's that word? Generosity. Wow. It doesn't seem to go together, does it? A severe trial and extreme poverty, yet he says they were overflowing in joy and they welled up in rich generosity in the middle of that new normal for them. That's how they responded. And Philippi was one of those churches that had done that. So when Paul writes this letter to the Philippian church and says, I thank you for you know, your gift to me, your help that you've given me, this wasn't something that 
was uncommon for them. Now, how were they able to be so generous in sharing with others? He goes on to tell us in this letter to the Corinthian church. Listen to it. Verse 3. I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. Now, how do you give beyond your ability? It includes faith, doesn't it? It includes going beyond what you see on paper you know you can do all right, easily, right? So we, I hope you have a budget. I would encourage you, if you don't have a budget, that you actually get a written budget. I recommend that for everybody. If you don't have a written budget, I just want to be honest with you, you don't have a budget, okay? If it's not written down, you do not have a budget. You have an idea, but you don't have a budget. So if you put it in writing, you'll be able to see, you know, black and white numbers. I can do this. I can't do that. You can see, you know, on paper, here's what I know for sure I can do. Does that require any faith to do what you already know you can do? No, faith is not doing that. Faith is looking at that and saying, but I'm going to trust God to try to step out beyond this and do more. And that's what he's saying the churches of Macedonia had done. The Philippian church had done. They gave not just what they saw easily they were able to do, but more than that. It says entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. The indication is, what most scholars believe happened is this. They, they were passing the word around. We're taking up an offering for the saints in Jerusalem. They're under persecution. They're going through a hard time. But the indication is they didn't even ask the Macedonian churches to help at first. You know Why? Because they're going through a famine, right? They're going through hard times. So we don't want to put any more burden on them, so we didn't even ask them to help. But they found out. And what was their response? They pleaded for the opportunity to have the privilege of being generous and helping out. You see, only Christ followers can do that. And only the Christ followers who know they can trust God would do that who truly trust that God is there consistently to take care of them. Only people who believe that about God can be generous like that. And he says in verse 5, and they exceeded our expectations. Can you imagine that? This is the apostle Paul and the other apostles who've seen God do amazing, miraculous things, and yet they said, these guys did more than we ever thought they could. That's pretty impressive, isn't it? For those guys to be impressed with the level of generosity of the Macedonian churches. He says, they exceeded our expectation. This is great. They gave themselves, here's how they did it. First of all, to the Lord. And then by the will of God also to us. You see, the ability to give like this, to be generous like this, to share with others like this, starts with placing Trust and confidence in God, giving yourselves first to the Lord. When you give yourself to him, you give your finances to him. You give your, your fears to him on job security. You give everything to him, and you trust him when you give it to him. I think most of us have made that attempt or taken that step to, to give our lives to Jesus. Most everybody here in the room has probably done that. You've given yourselves to the Lord. There may be some here who haven't. But if you have, here, here's what I find is the ongoing struggle then and battle after that. We give ourselves to him, but we keep trying to hold on to parts and take them back, don't we? And finances and generosity of life is one of those things we sometimes try to take back and hold on. 
and keep for ourselves, where we try to control it instead of allowing God to have it completely. It's only when we fully trust God that we can be generous enough to want to, to plead for the opportunity to share with others and be generous with others. And I'm not talking about just giving to the church. I'm talking about generosity of life, living a generous lifestyle where we're helping others, caring about others, putting others' needs above our own. Though certainly that should be lived out in supporting the work of the church as well. So the first thing trusting God allows us to do is to to be able to, to share with others. The second one is then we can be consistently generous when we trust God, consistently generous, not just once in a while. Not just when things are going good. Not just when we, we, we have a little extra in the account. I mean, that wouldn't be very often for a lot of us, right? That, that we just had some left over. We just didn't know, what am I going to do with this money? You know, I didn't, you know, most of us don't live like that, do we? But trusting God like this allows you to be consistently generous, even when you don't have that extra abundance there that, that you think if I just... You know, I hear people say all the time, well, if I won the lottery, right? When I win the sweepstakes, I'm going to do this, 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 and this. But the question is, what are you doing with what you have now? That's the real question. You see, God wants us to be generous consistently, which means all the time. In the hard times, yes. In the times of abundance, absolutely, always. Look at what he says in verse 15 and 16 of Philippians 4. He says, moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid more than once when I was in need. You see a pattern here with the Philippian church? They were consistently being generous and helping Paul out with his ministry. It wasn't just a one-time deal. It wasn't just when there was an appeal that went out to help the saints in Jerusalem that time. It was how they lived consistently. This was the practice, the habit of their walk with Christ was to be generous like this consistently. In fact, Paul said, when I set out from Macedonia, that's where Philippi was, to go you know, do more missionary work, to travel and plant more churches and share the gospel, you were the only one in the area that shared with me and helped me with that. What a witness, what a testimony they had of consistent generosity. That's why we need to know that that trusting in God enables you to be consistent with generosity. I know sometimes there there are Christian organizations and even some pastors that are really good at doing special appeals where they try to prick your heart and get you to give this special big offering, right? And occasionally there's a need that comes up where you have to do something like that. But some, some organizations and, and, and some pastors do it all the time, and, and they try to manipulate people into giving their money. Uh, there's a channel I watch on TV that evidently is mainly for old people because there's a lot of commercials on there for old people. Uh, I like a lot of the old shows, and, and on that channel you see different commercials that are, that are a lot of times for old people. But one of the things they also consistently have on there is showing these animals that are just destitute, right? And they play a Sarah McLaughlin song or something like that in the background, right? They're just tearing your heart up. And they show these, these dogs and, and other animal cats sometimes. And it looks like tears in their eyes. And they're just skin and bones. And they're chained up out in the hot sun or in the mud, you know. And boy, they tug at your heartstrings to get you to commit to giving, to help out. 
Now, I, I love animals, and I think they should be treated well. And we have a dog that, that we treat pretty well. He costs me more money than I ever wanted to spend, right, on an animal. He's getting old, and he's costing more, like all of us, right? But here's the deal. I love my dog and care about other animals, whether I see that commercial or not. I don't have to be manipulated to do that. And if we love Jesus and we love his church, we shouldn't have to be manipulated to be consistently generous in the support of the work of the kingdom and in helping other people. That should just be who we are consistently in our lives. We shouldn't have to tell tear-jerking stories of what the needs are out there to get somebody to be generous. That should be our lifestyle. It should be our makeup as Christians. So we can be consistently generous. I love what Paul's told the Corinthian church in that same letter we looked at earlier. In 2 Corinthians 9 and verse 8, he said this about God. God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. How often does he think we ought to be doing this? All the time. Why? Because we can trust God. When? All the time. No matter what's going on in our lives. We can trust God all the time. Not just when there's a big appeal because some crisis has happened. All the time. We can be generous people. The third thing it allows us to do if we trust God like we need to is it allows us to be pleasing to God. It allows us to live a life where we please God with how we're living and what we're doing. Look at what he says in verse 17 and 18. He says, not that I desire your gifts, he's saying to the church at Philippi. What I desire is that more be credited to your account. I have received full payment and have more than enough. I'm amply supplied now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts that you sent. They are a fragrant offering. Listen to his description of their gifts. A fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, and what does he say? Pleasing to God. Who is it that we should be trying to please with our lifestyle? God. We talked about it last week. Who, who's, the, who's your audience that you're living for? Who are you trying to impress? At the top of the list should be who? God. We should be wanting to please God. What kind of lifestyle is pleasing to God? A generous lifestyle. A consistently generous lifestyle is a lifestyle pleasing to God. Anything less than that is not as pleasing to God. So he says, I'm not asking you, you know, I'm not thanking you for your gift just because it helped me and, and I'm thankful for that. He says, don't get me wrong, I really am grateful for your gift. But what I'm more grateful for is how it's credited to your account before God. God has seen your generosity. He's the one you should be doing it for. Even if you love Paul, there should be a higher priority than that. It's that you love God. You want to be pleasing to God. That's why you're being generous. That's why you're helping out in the work of the ministry. That's why you're supporting the work of the kingdom. It's because you love God and you trust God. And you want to be pleasing to God with how you're living your life and how you're using your material blessings that you have that God has allowed you to be in possession of. That's why in 2 Corinthians 9, back to that letter, in verse 7, uh, Paul said to them, Each of you should give what you've decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, in other words, I shouldn't have to do a sob story and, and show pictures of people starving to get you to do this, right? I shouldn't have to compel you to do it. He says, you should give what you've decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion. Why? Because God loves a what? Cheerful giver. 
God loves a cheerful giver. When you really trust God, guess what you can do? You can give cheerfully. If you know for sure you can trust God, it allows you not to resent a church wanting to have uh, where you give offerings to it. You won't resent when there is a cause that needs some help and you're able to help out. You won't do it begrudgingly or resentfully when you do it. The word translated cheerful, I've talked about this before here at Lakeshore. You may know this if you've been around a long time. The root word for cheerful means hilarious in English. God loves a what? Hilarious giver. He wants this to be fun to bring joy and excitement to our lives, that we can consistently be generous people. I've got to tell you, nothing in my life is more fun, more fulfilling, than to know God can work through me and through my wife, Sue Ann, through our family, to bless some other people. Man, that's fun to see God doing that. And we're not wealthy. We're, you know, that's not what it's about. It's about whatever you've got, Letting God use you and work through you to be a blessing to other people because of your generosity. And know that God is using it to make a huge impact, to really make a difference. When you give to the work of the kingdom, there's no greater impact giving you could do than that. There's nothing wrong with helping out with saving the animals. That's not a bad thing. But friends, saving souls, there's nothing better than that. Nothing more important than that. Nothing bigger than that and impact that you could have with your generosity. So we can be doing it in such a way that we're pleasing to God. The fourth thing that it allows us to do if we really trust God is we learn then that we can experience God's faithfulness to us. We get to experience God's faithfulness. Look at verse 19. He says to the Philippian church, and my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. Look at it again. My God will do what? Meet all your greeds? Is that what he said? No. He said meet all your what? Needs. Boy, we have a hard time defining needs and separating it out from greeds, don't we? Why? Because we play the comparison game we talked about last week, and we're not content with what we have. We know somebody else has got more, bigger, better, newer than what we've got. So we're not content in the meantime. And God's not saying, I'm going to make sure you have more than everybody else. I don't care what some of the TV preachers say. This is not a health and wealth gospel that Paul is preaching here. Okay? This is a God who meets the needs of his people. And he says, if you know you can trust God to meet your needs, then you learn God over time. You experience that often enough that God comes through and your needs are met. Even when you're being generous, then here's what you learn you can do. You can trust God to be faithful to you to his promises and his word. You can count on God to come through. And when you know he's going to be faithful to you, it's easier to be faithful to him, isn't it? When you know that for sure. Here's our problem with trusting God's faithfulness is we, I'm sure almost everybody in the room, have experienced a lack of faithfulness on somebody we thought we could trust. Somebody's let us down. Somebody hasn't come through the way we thought they would. Somebody hasn't kept their promise. Somebody, you know, hasn't uh, kept the agreement that they made and, and it's hurt you in some way. And when you get hurt like that, it's hard to know you can trust. It really is. But see, God's so different. God, God is so different than we weak, frail, sinful human beings. 
God has kept every promise he's ever made always. He has never failed anyone ever. And when you start getting to know God better, you start learning as you test this, as you put it into practice, you start learning God is always faithful, always. So that enables you to trust him so that you can be faithful to him. I love how he said it to the Corinthian church in 2 Corinthians 9. Let's go back there to verse 10. He says to them, now he who supplies seed to the sower, who's he talking about? God, okay. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way. Listen to this. Why is God doing that? So that you can be, what's the word? Generous when on every occasion and through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. The Bible teaches us from Old Testament to new that God has a challenge for all of us to trust him. Even in Malachi, he says, test me in this. Talking about the tithe. If you would bring your whole tithe to the storehouse, put God first. He said, test me in this and see if I will not give the blessings that I promised I would give. You see, from Old Testament all the way through this passage in Corinthians, he's saying, put this to the test. If you try this, you trust me, and you step out and try this, I'm going to prove myself to be faithful to you, to take care of you and meet your needs. The only way you can experience God's faithfulness is you have to put it to the test. If you're only doing what you know on paper you can do right now, and you maybe decided, I can't do anything right now, it's just too tight, or you've decided that's all I can do based on what I've done in my budget, that's all I can do. If that's all you ever do, you know what you'll never experience? The faithfulness of God. You'll never experience it that way. You're doing what you can do in your own power. You're not trusting God for what only God can do. If you're going to trust God's faithfulness, you have to test God's faithfulness in your life. You have to step out beyond what you know you can do already to be generous beyond what you can see on paper. And then you see if God is faithful or not to keep his promise to make sure you can always be generous. God is saying, I promise you, I will always supply what you need so that you can always be generous, which leads to the fifth thing, the last thing, and that's this. Trusting God allows you to live a life that glorifies God that glorifies God, that brings glory to God. Look at how he finishes this, this uh, thankfulness he's given for their gifts. He says, to our God and Father be glory forever. This is verse 20, Philippians 4. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. You know why Paul wants them to be generous? You know why Paul is generous? Because his goal in life is not to get all the stuff. His goal in life is what? to glorify God. And he wants others under his teaching to live in such a way that they glorify God for their lives. He who dies for the most toys still dies. If your goal in life is to get all the toys, you still are going to die and face God in judgment. And one of the things God challenges us to do if we're going to claim to believe in him and follow him is he wants us to trust him enough that while we're here, we're going to be generous people. 
We're going to make a higher priority in glorifying God than in getting the stuff of the world. And again, the stuff of the world is not evil. That's not what this is about. He's not saying it's even evil to have nice stuff. He's not saying that. Our culture kind of has gone the other way, and they've made people that, that have a lot and are wealthy, they've made them evil. Uh, you know, they've tried to pit the, the, like they're the oppressors against the oppressed people out there, right? They've tried to pit us against each other. God doesn't do that in his word. He never pits us against each other based on what you have or you don't have, ever. He just simply says, with what you have, I want you to trust me enough to be generous with what you have. If you have a lot, then you can do a lot of good stuff with it. But here's the thing. Even if you only have a little, you can still be generous with that. And God can do big things even with a little. Remember what he said about the faith? Even like the size of a mustard seed can move mountains. You see, it doesn't have to be big dollar amounts. It just has to be the attitude and spirit and action of generosity with the intent that your generosity is being done not for your glory, but for whose? For God's glory. You see, it's something you're doing when there's no TV camera around. It's something you're doing even if the government doesn't force you to do it. People get all mixed up about this idea of uh, socialism and communism and that the scripture somehow teaches that, that the government is right to, to take from the rich to give to the poor. That's not what scripture teaches at all. You know what the scripture teaches? He wants you to give what you decide in your own heart to give. Not what the government takes from you by force. He wants you to choose in your heart to be generous people. That's not socialism. It's not communism. It's you having a heart for God that you want to glorify God with what you do, with what God blesses you with, what he entrusts you with. You're choosing to be generous even if the government has nothing to do with it. And even if it's not where you're going to get any attention for it, and even if it's not where you're going to get praised for it, you decide in your own heart to be a generous person because you love God, you know you can trust God, and more than anything else, you want to bring glory to God with how you live your life. In 2 Corinthians 9, beginning with verse 12, he went on to teach this. He said to them when they about their offering, this service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of the Lord's people, it's also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Because of the service by which you've proved yourselves, others will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ. Did you get that? If you do this the way God wants you to, who gets the praise and the glory for it? God does, okay? Listen to what he goes on to say. He says that... Uh, they, these people that you're helping, it says your generosity and sharing with them and with everyone else, it's going to overflow and, and those, that praise to God when you do it. He says in verse 14, and in their prayers for you, their hearts will go out to you because of the surpassing grace God has given you. But then he concludes in verse 15 of that part of that letter, he says this, thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. You know why he puts that in there? He's just bragging on them about what their generosity can do and how it can bring glory to God. He says, God's not asking you to do anything that he's not been willing to do for you already. You want to talk about the ultimate giver and the ultimate gift? All you have to do is look at what God has given for you and for me. Thanks be to God for his 
indescribable gift to us. Who has given more than anyone in a greater way than anyone else? God. God the Father has given his son, Jesus, on the cross for every one of us. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your gift to us. It is indescribable, your willingness to give. And you give to us consistently. You set that example for us that you're always meeting our needs. You're always providing what's needed at exactly the right time and exactly the right way, even if it's not what we thought or what we wanted at the time. You're so much wiser than us, Father. We thank you for your wise provision for us in every way at all times for our lives. We especially see it in the giving of your son, Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen.